Blog Talk Radio. broadcast of Spirituality Today with Jamie Sanders and Denise Jurgen coming to you live from Unity of Pensacola and coming to you from Music City in Nashville, Tennessee, where my wonderful co-host, Reverend Denise Jurgen is in her office as well. And today we're excited to be coming to you with the theme in the last part of our show, the last hour of our 90-minute broadcast, when we welcome our guest co-host for today, uh, Reverend Dr. William Mercer, and our theme is going to be Radical Gratitude. Many of you may have seen videos going around on Facebook and on Twitter for individuals who are being challenged to do short videos about what it is they are grateful for in their life. And the whole point of this, of course, is to spread positive energy. Instead of posting all the political bantering and all the killings, we're going to attempt to lovingly flood Facebook with video posts even written posts about what it is that we're grateful for for 21 days. And so we encourage you as you listen to today's broadcast, if you're active in a Unity Church or a New Thought Church of any kind, to present to your congregation or even to go onto your own social media sites and begin to post 21 days of what it is that you are grateful for. And so what we know is what we've been told, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, Denise, that if we can do anything or not do something for 21 days, we sort of rewire our wiring in our brain of whether we are constantly complaining or finding fault. So we, it's kind of like the um, bracelets that we did a while back. I'm sure they did it at Unity of Music City, the complaint-free world, where we wore yeah. the bracelets to remind us not to complain. So that's the whole point. And so... Um, so I'm going to be probably challenging you in the next week, my friend, to be one of the ones to post videos. I know you're busy, but it's a lot of fun. So anyway, how are things going with you in Nashville? You know, things are really, really wonderful. And when we had a brief little chat earlier about what we wanted to talk about before we get um, Will on the radio show with us, I brought up the word fear. And I know that probably sounds a little odd since we're going to be talking about gratitude, but I am have always been extremely grateful for finding unity and this new thought pathway because living in those principles has assisted me not only just to create a world that I really enjoy living in and creating a life that I enjoy living in, but allowing me to let go of or alleviate some of the fears that I used to hold as a human being living here on the earth. 
And in saying all that, as a unity minister right now in our world today, it seems that on a regular basis I either have a conversation in my office or I have a conversation with someone on the phone or I have a conversation, I had the conversation the other morning at Starbucks with someone who wanted to meet me there about their fears of just living in this world right now and everything that's going on. And it even, I had a woman the other day tell me that she felt a little out of control because she could not um, let go of the fear that she had that, you know, she can't go to any big sporting event or she can't go to anything where there's going to be a lot of people there because she's afraid something's going to happen or she doesn't want to fly. And so I brought that up to say I know that I'm probably not the only minister that gets questions about stuff like that. And how do we as spiritual leaders or ministers or licensed teachers or just people on the path How do we answer people who seem to have those kinds of fears? Because I know that in unity we say a lot of times there's either fear or there's love. You're choosing one or the other. But that sometimes sounds a little bit trite when somebody's got such a huge fear about something. So I guess I'll throw that out to you first, Jamie, and say how do you address some congregants' fears or fears of friends or other people? Well, you know, let's let's. I think we're always pretty direct and honest on here. We um, are. <laughs> ministers are people too, and yes, we have they fears. Um, yes, we and do. And the thing is, is yes, we do. And let me tell you, it, it isn't about that. You know, we're above being people because we're we're ministers or spiritual leaders. But it's about, you know, what I often say. You know, they say, Reverend Johnny Coleman used to say it, and they say it in twelve step meetings. It works if you work it. So it isn't that because you become spiritual, and I did the air quotes, that you become spiritual, yeah. that all of a sudden all your fears vanish, but it's about us working principles. And, I mean, even today I was sharing with you here at the church, I mean, it's been one issue after another with our air conditioning system. We have six units for this big building. And, and I'm like, Father, Mother, God. I mean, what in the world is going on? I mean, is somebody doing some voodoo? Or I mean, and so I'm walking around the building this morning, blessing the building. I'm saging it, and and so I have as because I'm the leader, as you know, everything right. is our responsibility, or so it appears. And so I have fears of, okay, I bless this, I breathe through it, I call upon uh, my affirmations <laughs> that there is no lack, there is no limitation. I could be peeing my pants, but I'm I'm gonna say it till I mean it. You know what I mean? And right. so like you're, you're saying, this lady was sharing with you about the fear of flying, um, the fear of going to big, large events. And, and as I was listening to it, because here's, here's the hypocrisy, folks, who are listening to this. It's easy for you and I to tell someone else what they could do. And, you know, a lot of us like to should on people what you should do. But the <laughs> truth is, until you're walking the path, it, it, it's, it's a different story. So what I was hearing in my mind was, as you were sharing that about her fears of going in case something horrible happens, is if it's time for that sister to go, her ticket's up, her bus is coming, and you're going to go or you're not going to go. And so, but that's easy to say, you know what I mean? So, I mean, you also have to follow your inner guidance. If if guidance tells you not to go, 
and that you're really clear that you took time to sit and get still and connect with the God within you, and it's not because you're you're scared to death, but literally you breathe through it. I mean, um, Edwin tells about when the, on the firewalk. I mean, that's what makes right. me laugh is the whole thing of her saying, she ha- you have to ask for guidance. And, and the last time, never, you know, I never heard her say, but she'll say, I ask for guidance. And I'll say, do I walk? Not yet. Okay. Yes. Do I walk? And then it'll say yes, and she goes, seriously now, don't be messing with me. Do I walk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what we do. Even as spiritual as we are, we have to check it. So fear fear is an illusion. I get it. And it can feel very real, and it can suffocate us if we give that much power to it. And so it really is about breathing through it and asking for guidance, which is a great reason to, to meditate more and to pray more. That's my take. Uh- I totally agree. You know, it's interesting because I, as I said, after I got into the study of new thought and unity, you know, I used to be afraid that I was such a bad little girl because my mother had told me that I was, that I was definitely, most definitely going to spend the rest of my life in hell with the devil. So I just kind of figured that that was what was going to happen to me. And so when I finally got into unity and rose to a different level of understanding about what all that was about and what people were talking about and realized that, you know, I I had already experienced what I consider hell to be here on the earth and I didn't feel like that that was going to be something that was going to happen when I died. But then after that kind of subsided, there was still this underlying thing of, not making the right decision and I'm going to have to deal with whatever that is, if that makes sense. And Judy and I, the other weekend, I think it was during the July the 4th weekend, decided that we were going to go see a movie. And hear me, I have never been afraid of being around people or anything else or even thinking about it. But I had the day before had a conversation with this person who had said, you know, I'm not going to go to any events and I'm not going to do any of this stuff because I'm afraid somebody might come in and do something. And all of a sudden, Judy and I get into this dark, cool <laughs> movie theater. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we're getting ready to get started, you know, watching this movie and I'm eating popcorn because that's the only time I ever eat popcorn. It's like it smells so good when you're in a movie theater. And I was eating popcorn and drinking Sprite, and all of a sudden this big group of people come in and sit down, and I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Trouble. Because they went right behind us and sat, and I thought, Denise, don't sit there and do this. This is silly. But, of course, then in my mind, because I'd had the conversation the day before of, oh, my you know, what happens if this person pulls out a big old <laughs> Uzi and starts shooting in there? What am I going to do? Of course, then I looked and I thought, okay, now that's just silly. And I did exactly what you were talking about. I breathed. I got myself calm. And I giggled. And I told Judy, I said, you know, all of a sudden I was thinking about, what if somebody comes in here and shoots all of us? <laughs> she just kind of looked at me and grinned like, you're a crazy loon, honey. But... <laughs> You know, it can be something that silly. Or the other thing that comes up for me that we did talk about a lot of times is in the summer months, being a minister, sometimes attendance is down. And we know that all of those people don't always send in their (laughs) tithes. 
<laughs> when they're gone to wherever they are. And sometimes money goes down in the summer. And it's like then I I know ministers, because I was eating lunch with one the other day that was like, I don't know what we're going to do, you know. And it was, again, we need to breathe through that. There are so many times when we in this spiritual beingness realm kind of rub up against fears that are taught to us in the world. And it's why I brought this up, because I think sometimes when we talk about fears, one of the things that helps me, and I know we're eventually going to talk about this in the next hour, is focusing more on all the things that I have to be grateful for, if that makes sense. Because that gets me out of the fear that's holding on to me at the time. Does that make any sense at all to you? Yeah, you know, I was talking to um, Reverend Carla, and um, uh-huh. we were hearing on the phone about, you know, because we, we go back and forth with stuff. And so I was telling her, I said, you know, one of the things that gets me is, you know, that you still have work to do. And, again, it goes back to my statement that ministers are people too. But right. I noticed for myself, I can get, I, I don't know if you're this way, I can get a standing ovation when I speak. Right. And I, if I look out of the corner of my eye and two people didn't stand, my right. crazy self goes home wondering why the hell those two people didn't stand. Right. <laughs> and, and I let go of all the people who loved the thing and praised mm-hmm. me. And I go, that's that fear of not being enough for everybody. And yes. we can't be. And I know that. I know in my mind. But the fear is, you know, like I was sharing with you right before that we got on the air that somebody said to me last week, I mean, just doesn't care for me. I mean, we don't have to take a, a, a survey. She don't like me. And she said to me, I don't like your style. And I was like, "Real? Wow. And my uh-huh. first thought was, oh, I wonder what I could do. Di-. And then I thought, no, ma'am. So I said, well, I, you know, you don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. But I got a crowd of people who do. You know what I mean? And so it, it's the fear of fears aren't always the kind of fears that make us um, – terrified but the fears can also keep us held back in a prison not to let your light shine or you know that verse in the the scriptures that talk about hiding your light under a bushel and then Mm -hmm. you worry that somebody says you're too much well i don't know what's a worse hell to live in being too little or being too much you know what i mean right i most definitely know what you mean you know it's it's um I actually, when I thought about this whole thing, went to a scripture, and I will say to you the same thing I say to church on Sunday morning. I say, you know, I can use a scripture because I'm a minister, and I have the right to pull one out on you every once in a while. If you, <laughs> they all just kind of <laughs> laugh and go, ah. But in First John chapter four, um, there's a scripture there, verse eighteen, that says, "There is not fear in love; perfect love drives out fear." And I didn't know where that scripture was, but when I was thinking about this, I kind of Googled a little bit and found that. It was it was like, when I love perfectly, and that includes me, that includes myself, right. you know, then I'm not going to be afraid because it's not about, you heard me talking about the woman said she was afraid she was going to lose control. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I don't know how to explain this to people either we don't really have any (laughs) 
You know, we really don't have any control over whether those two people stand up and clap for us or not or whether anything. The only thing I really have control over is whether I'm going to love me and accept me fully and be who I came here to be and not worry about what everybody else thinks because maybe they are not supposed to be sitting in my audience. I don't know, you know. And, and I know you, that you made a good point. Crass. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It sounds authentic to me. But here's the point to me that you make that I always, I always try to follow up with when I'm speaking, and I say what you just said about loving and accepting ourselves. And you know, we right. always used to sing in Unity churches about the Louise Hay song about I love myself the way I am. There's nothing I, I need to change. But here's right. what I always want to follow it with. That does not excuse you from doing your work. And if you know that you are obnoxious and you know that you are mean-spirited, you love and accept who you are right where you are, but you also have to go, wait a minute, I still have work to do. You know, so don't use it as a crutch or a cop-out not to do your work. That's what I always say to myself. Most definitely, most definitely. So, you know, I don't know where else we want to go with this fear conversation, but I do know that... You know, when I look out in the world today with everything that's going on, and I don't know how Pensacola is, but I will tell you that Nashville, Tennessee has changed um, immensely since I was born here years and years ago. But it it has changed immensely in the last five to ten years, and there is very seldom a day that we don't get up that somebody hasn't gotten killed, somebody hasn't, you know, held up some sort of a convenience store. And it's interesting to be living in this town now, even though it's such an exciting town to live in, because it is becoming more and more of what I used to think about some great big conquer city, you know, like New York or Chicago or something like that. And I remember thinking, I'm so glad that we're not like all that, well, we sort of kind of are. And so, you know, when I think about that, I think how can we as a new thought group of people in Nashville and knowing that there are three other new thought groups in Nashville too, how can we be the light that we came here to be and shine the light and dispel some of the fears that I know that are out there? You know, how can me as a spiritual leader combine with other spiritual leaders and other people on the pathway and say, here's what we can do. We can learn how to meditate. We can, you know, be the people that we came here to be and not hunker down and be afraid to function in this world. Well, Does that you make know, any we'll- sense? It does. Will, Will that's going to be on with us, Will and his wife, Sadar, I, I adore both of them. Mm-hmm. They're very dear friends of mine. And they live in Harlem. And okay. so the first time they said, we want you to come visit, and I was like, Harlem? And <laughs> the, his wife says no. to me, who, I mean, she mm-hmm. says, my darling, she said, Harlem is not what people think Harlem used to be. Because I right. remember going to Harlem in the 80s, and, and it, it was it was frightening. I was scared. I, I did not fit into that energy, but I had a great time. But that's what I'm saying about I do believe that places can shift and change. And so yes. like for the New Thought Churches, because when I go to Nashville, 
you know, I think, you know, what's that place where, where they you do bread? Loves, is that what it's called, that diner? Yes, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and then go to that or or go to the, you know, the Opry or, or even yes. go down to the, the Ryman and all of that mm-hmm. and to the, the Country Music Hall of Fame. I am not in the mindset that there's anything to be fearful of because I do not live right. there. Right. But when I'm with you and Judy and we go around town, I don't feel fearful because I know you guys know what you're doing and where you're going. And so I don't <laughs> go in there with that with that thought. But, I mean, I can pick up the newspaper when I'm there or I can watch the news before I go to sleep when I'm in Nashville. And I see what's happening and then I go, wait a second. I don't mm-hmm. want my vision of what Nashville, Tennessee represents to me to be tainted with that. And so I have to just remind myself, same thing here in Pensacola, there is – um, we're in the in the middle of the of the Bible Belt. Um, we call it L.A. Lower Alabama, even though we're in Florida. And and there are people who think that we're a cult at this church because New Thought right. is some of the fundamentalist churches. And I just have to go. I want nothing to do with that. And rarely do I get an encounter anymore where people want to come and bang on the door and confront us about what we believe and what we don't believe. Because in the beginning, I had it all the time in phone messages. And I just said, I don't want, I don't want that vibration. So I really think for people living, I mean, it's about the thoughts. You know, what do we say in New Thought? I've heard different versions. Thoughts held in mind will reproduce mm-hmm. after their kind. Right. And so, I mean, I'm, you also use common God-given sense. You don't go into uh, an area that is known to be dangerous. Um, by yourself and late at night and get out of the car and walk around looking for pennies on the ground. I mean, right. come on. <laughs> You're so funny. You know, it, it's interesting that you brought that up because I know there is still on uh, connected to our either website or Facebook page this post from somebody years ago that said, yes, this church is all about lesbians, the color purple, and dolphins. And I was like, well, that's odd. <laughs> I don't really know dolphins. what any of that means. I know. I'm like, we're not even in Florida. Where does the dolphins come from? <laughs> but it's interesting because, you know, you bring up another slant of, you know, are we afraid of what other people think about us? You know, and we have to just keep doing this work, being who we are, and putting it out there. And yeah, you know, we're Lord Mercy in the huge buckle of the Bible Belt in Nashville, Tennessee, because on every corner there's a church. And, you know, there's a lot of evangelical ministers in Nashville, and they believe it is their job to save all of our souls, you know. And when I say I don't believe that my soul needs saving, they don't quite understand even what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So there can be fears coming from so many different directions, you know, about so many different things. And I I know this is a huger topic than we can even deal with in one setting, but it, I know we are we are asked to choose love. You know, we have so many New Thought songwriters that have chosen to write songs about choosing love and being love and being the light and, you know, shining in the darkness. And, you know, I think it's Marianne Williamson that had the quote about us, you know, being afraid of our light more than our darkness. And I think that that's true. I think sometimes our biggest fear is 
standing in our own truth, if that makes any sense. Knowing yeah, who it really we is. really are. Yeah. Because, I mean, the truth is we all want to be loved and we all want to be liked. And I always say when people, you know, when people will say to me, oh, I don't care if people like me, I have a real issue with that because I, I think that would be a wonderful place to live about, you know, you know, 80% of the time. But somewhere right. we also have to have that balance of, you know, if if that many people aren't liking you, chances are it's a sign from the universe that we got some cleaning up to do. But yes. you can't please the world. Somebody wrote a song about that, was it, So You Gotta Please Yourself, Garden Party, mm-hmm. was it? Mm-hmm. And, and I think of that, you know, that sometimes, but we have to be accountable for our behavior and our actions and our fears. So I think it's really important for us to look at our fears Ask ourselves, what is this really about? You know, I have a thing about snakes, and I've always said, I've never really <laughs> had too. an encounter with one. Never. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, I believe it. I don't I don't care if anybody believes in, in past lives or not, but I'll tell you what, when I check into it, there were some horrific experiences in past lives with some big old snakes. And I think I carried it in, but I don't even want to see an earthworm near my foot. I'll 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 go 50 yards. Because it's 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 buried in some sort of cellular memory, so that's why I say, ask yourself, why why in the world would I be afraid of something I've never experienced? It, it's got to be there has to be a reason to it. But you work through it, you breathe through it. And people say, well, if you'll just hold the snake, if you'll just pet, have you lost uh-uh. your mind? <laughs> hold the snake. You know, Judy and I love to go to New Orleans. Love it. And I one of the things I love doing is going in voodoo shops. I think it is just just amazing. I just love to rooty through all of that. Well, I was in one one time. This has been a few years ago, and there was a guy there that I felt very connected to, and he was giving readings, but I had to go. If he was going to do my reading, I had to go in this back room, and they had uh-huh. a boa constrictor in there. A boa Loose or in a cage? Loose. Loose? And he told me, this is what he said to me. He said, now know that the boa constrictor is in there and all he would want to do is put his head on your leg and you pat him and then he'll go away. And I went, nope, (laughs) not doing that. (laughs) Not today. And and he said, oh, honey, I really feel like that I'm supposed to do your reading. And I said, nope, (laughs) not with a snake. And I'm exactly the same way, you know. And he was telling me all of these country music people that had been in there and Garth Brooks had had his reading and blah, 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 blah. I was like, you know, I I can't help if Jesus has been in there. I'm not going in there with a the snake. <laughs> <laughs> and Judy was help just, standing out my unbelief. And <laughs> just standing there laughing at me. I was like, nope, that is not a fear I'm going to walk through today. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. So, yep. Well, that's I say we have to talk to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we have to talk ourselves through our fears and ask what it's about. And, you know, are we willing to work through some of them and, and not? I mean, people bungee jump. I, I have no calling to right. do that. You know what I mean? I'll walk on fire, but I, I'm not about to to jump. Yes, and my mom used to say to me about when, you know, people, you know, people would find out they had a certain um, – illness in the body and they would say well you have to do this and you have to do that and, that, and they wouldn't do it you know they just mm-hmm. you, you, you've got to quit smoking you got to quit drinking they wouldn't do it so this is what my wonderful mama would always say and it makes me laugh to this day and she'd say you listen to me if they told me that i had cancer 
I would hang butt ass naked off a bridge on a bungee. <laughs> it would heal me. <laughs> and I always hear that and I think, well, now she means business. She wants to be healed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's when you go to people, you got to do your work. You got to do your work. Right. But I'm not a bungee right. person. Anyway, no, I don't know what that either. has to do with anything. <clears throat> I but. think that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, the other thing that I think about with fear is I remember a story that Edwin Gaines, who I adore her, talked about wanting to go meet a shaman one time, and she ended up having to go in this little tent or something, and she had to take her clothes off and stand there naked. I don't know that I could do that. I have no idea. But, you know, I just think, Lord, mercy, could I stand naked in front of a whole group of people to let some shaman do whatever they needed to do to me? I'm not sure I could do that. not sure I could walk And she did it. Fears. You know, and she tells the story, she, she it. did it. And they, she says they beat her with those reeds. And, right. you know, I mean, it's a hilarious story. But I, I agree with you. And, you know, it's about moving through our fears, folks. So anyway, coming up on the end of this first 30 minutes of the broadcast, and now it's time for us to move into our, our segment with our guest co-host. So I want to tell you a little bit about my friend. I, I adore this man. Um, Reverend Dr. C. William Mercer is an ordained divine science minister and author. He co-ministers a divine science church without walls in New York City's Harlem neighborhood with his wife, the amazing Reverend Sidar Mercer. I adore her, too. Will served as president of the Divine Science Ministers Association from 2009 to 2013, and from 2012 to 2014, he served as the president of the Divine Science Federation International. Will's passion for history led him to write three recent books, the first one, Present at the Beginning, in 2014, the second, The Christology Connection, in 2015, and then currently, and it's called Courage, Conviction, and Consciousness, all of which focus on the history of new thought in America as as well as the life and the work of Divine Science founder uh, Melinda Elliott Kramer. Uh, in his third book, Will explores the contributions of more than 105 women to the development and advancement of new thought over the past 150 years. In recent years, Will has spoken at new thought gatherings and conferences across the country, as well as presenting at the International New Thought Alliance Congresses from 2009 to 2013. Will is, what I want you to know about Will is Will is funny, he is playful, he is a powerful speaker and teacher, and it is such an honor to have him on the show today. And so, Will Mercer, I'm going to unmute you now, and I will say, welcome to the show, William. How are you? Hello, hello. Are you there? You're We're there. there. You're there. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon. It's a real honor and pleasure to be with you. It's good to have you on the show, and I got to tell you, Will, this this new book, I, I just love this new book. The the cover, I mean, the artwork, the whole thing. I love it because it's almost like a coffee table style book with all the history of these these women in New Thought. And I mean, you're doing outstanding work as an author. And so today, that's why we wanted you to be on the show with us as our guest co-host because. What we were talking about in the beginning, I don't know if you've heard it or if you've seen some of the videos being posted on Facebook on the Radical Gratitude Challenge where people are going on and posting for the 21 days what it is they are grateful for. And then they challenge other friends. And what I found is probably wise to do is ask somebody before you challenge them because I find that some people 
are terrified to make a video and be seen. So I wanted you to kind of engage with us as if we're sitting around the table having coffee about your concept of what gratitude is for you. But the first thing, you know, Denise, I spoke on this subject Sunday. I didn't mention this. I did the, the talk on Sunday on radical gratitude, and I looked up mm-hmm. the word radical. And what was interesting to me, because, you know, you, we think we always know what words mean. So I looked up the word radical, and there was a bunch of them. But one of the ones that popped out to me, which I think would be the foundation for this discussion, was said it, it's revolutionary. So I went to have revolutionary gratitude, which to me brought up all kind of things, out of the box, um, going beyond just going, gee, thanks. And um, so, Will, uh, let's hear your take to start on what gratitude is for you personally. I would uh, I, I would venture that it's much like um, uh, finding God in difficulty. Uh, something happens, and we try to see where God has played a role in that. And from a from that standpoint, I kind of view radical gratitude as you know finding the gift and opportunity that lies within the challenges that we face. Uh, at least that's how I've approached it. And if I was better with selfies, I probably would have done a video, but I'm afraid you'd see the rock and not the person sitting on it. Uh, but that, that's kind of what I get to and where I think uh, the whole concept of radical gratitude is different than simply being grateful for the things that we often recognize as having been good for us. Uh, does that make sense to you? What do you well, it think, makes Denise? perfect sense to me. It makes it makes perfect sense to me because, actually, I um, love to take stories out of the Old Testament and give metaphysical interpretation. And one of my favorite favorite stories to do that with is the story of Joseph and his wife, and where there is a phrase in there that. You know, they meant it for good. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. These people, his family, were trying to hurt him, and God meant it for good. And I've always enjoyed sharing that lesson with people because, you know, I think when when we can practice focusing, and I say practice because I do not do it all the time either. I'm a human. But when we can practice focusing on there is good in this, there's a there's a pony in here somewhere. I've just got to find it. Then things begin to shift energetically in our world. That's that's my take on that. And and I certainly agree. I I um I spent a little time this morning looking through the new book uh, to find out who spoke most clearly to this whole concept of of radical gratitude. And if it's okay to share, I'd like to talk a bit from. November 26th, which is provided by Annie Ricks Millets. Now, she only lived until 1924, but they didn't get around to publishing this book until 1945. So I rather think that it was a gathering of a lot of her uh, writings and and, uh, sermons and so on. But let me read uh, just a bit of it for you so you get a flavor of how she viewed it and how it falls into this conversation. Um, There's no greater prospering power than the word of blessing, of genuine praise and of thanks from the heart directed especially toward those people and those things and events which have seemed to curse us. As this word must not merely be from the lips, it will require skill, discernment, inspiration, 
and a prophetic sense to find out what one can praise in one's enemies, to see what one can be thankful for in misfortune or can bless in time of treachery. The very exercise itself will enrich one as it did the sons of the wise father in the fable. An Aesopian fable tells us of an old farmer who had four lazy sons and who in dying told them he had nothing to leave them but a field, but in the field was buried a treasure. So when he died, they vigorously dug up that field, but they found no treasure. However, the next crop that grew in the field yielded four times as much as the ordinary crop, and then the sons knew that the treasure in the field was what they had put into it, their own energy and faith. Practice mm-hmm. skill and discernment in finding the good in the people who have injured you and in the failures that have burdened you. Let the Spirit inspire your thanksgiving and open your prophetic sense so that you may see the blessing that is coming out of it all. The exercise is enriching both spiritually and materially. And I think that uh, Annie really nailed it, didn't she, Jamie? I think so. I mean, I, I really think that it's, it is this thing, you know, I'm, I'm posting on Facebook right now asking people who are, who are on Facebook, are you an individual who is mindful to give thanks for the blessings in your life? And, and I think it's, it is, you know, the Buddhists talk about being mindful, which is one of my favorite things to refer to in any situation in, in my own experience. Am I being mindful? But it's, I think it's an addiction sometimes for us as human beings to find fault far quicker than we ever find the blessing. And, and, you know, talking about things about giving praise, which goes back, sometimes doesn't feel comfortable because it brings up from some of our fundamental growing up. But I get what it means about, you know, let praise be on your lips, which to me, when you praise something, you're, being, you're giving thanks to something. You're being in gratitude. So what I praise expands, but what I complain about does too. So, yeah, I think that was, that was a great – what page was that on, Will? Oh, gosh, I think it's November 16th, but let me grab it real quickly. Uh, yes, November 26th, I'm sorry, page uh, okay. 360. What's your take on it, Denise? Well, you know, again, that goes hand in hand with that story that I love so much about Joseph. And... um one of the things that I do when I use that story is that the first thing that we as human beings are doing is affirming that there's good. And what are the what is the good or the gifts and the benefits that I have received? Even in the story that Will read, it, it was that they received a bounty that was greater than anything that they had received before. And so I do affirm that there is good, but then I know also that the source of that good is greater than me and also within me. It's I'm living and moving and having my being in that source. And so as long as I can focus on all of that and focus on the good, I have so many things to praise, more than I have to not praise or to complain about. That's not always the easiest thing to do, but it's what we teach in new thought, whether it be divine science or unity or any of the other modalities of new thought. Does that make sense? 
It does. It, it's finding the unexpected good in things yes. that uh, didn't appear to provide good in the first place. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's an effort, but I think it's an important effort that each of us needs to make as we proceed through life and deal with the challenges that we see in everyday existence, particularly over the last year or so, that's just been fraught with all kinds of difficulty and unhappiness, uh, to find the good uh, in the experience and to be grateful for that good once we've identified it uh, is critical. Most definitely. Um, I'm in the process right now of writing a book about my own life. And I'm sure, as you know, when you write, things start coming bubbling up that you hadn't remembered or hadn't really thought about. And I had a very painful marriage in my 20s and was married to a gentleman that was very abusive. I, at the same time, was had grown up in a very fundamental and very... Um, Um, shall I say, I would say negative kind of environment Um, and was not taught any of these principles that we're talking about now. In the process of leaving that marriage and getting a divorce, I was kicked out of a job and, and, and a religious system because I was told you cannot be in this anymore and be divorced. In that moment when that happened, I thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I grieved and grieved and grieved and grieved. What I know now and what I knew probably in five months past that was that it was the best thing that ever happened to me mm-hmm. because my life has opened and and exploded in so many different ways that would have never happened. And that's kind of what we're talking about. It happens to all of us in our world that things happen and we think it's the worst thing, but the universe has bigger, greater plans for us if we can remember that there are blessings in everything. There's an old uh, adage that appears in many many cases on greeting cards, and it basically delivers the message that says, I... I've kept wondering through my life uh, why I ran into this obstacle and why I was made to go around or through this problem. Uh, and then I got to the top of the hill and looked back and realized that I had reached that point because of that path, uh, yes. not in spite of that path. That's that's beautifully said, most definitely. What about you, Mr. Jamie? Well, I was just thinking, <clears throat> you know, years ago, we we see things with our human eyes and we think that it's a you know it's a bad thing and we we do like you were saying you grieve and you you think that things will never be the same but i remember my my first unity church that i was active in i was like the youngest board president i, I mean i was just everything and there was a um a falling out of things and Unity Worldwide sent in, it wasn't Unity, it was Unity Association, Unity Churches in those days, sent in two ministers to check and see what was going on. And it was very sad to me. I was the board president. And, you know, that night when we were done meeting, I just knew that, you know, like Jesus said, it is finished. And it Mm -hmm. had been such a major part of my life. And as I drove away that night, I, I cried all the way home because I loved that church. I loved those people. Um, but I could no longer participate in that kind of 
energy, which all churches go through them. When there's a major shift coming, there's a shake-up first to rattle the the loose pieces, I guess, off the tree. I don't know. But anyway, I right. thought it was just a terrific thing to me, and I, I mourned not being a part of it, and I began to come to the church here in Pensacola. And I, I remember one Sunday I was singing in the church. They wouldn't let me speak. They let me sing one Sunday. And I was singing, and there was a break in the song, in the music, but it was just the instrumental part. And I looked up, and there's a stained glass window in the balcony of this old Catholic church, and it was Jesus. And I, as I looked at the window, I heard in my head, which, you know, I always say I must have made that up, but I heard the voice say, pay attention, because one day you'll be the minister here. And I thought, what? And I went back to singing the, you know, the next part of the song. And years later, when I was, you know, the minister here, one Sunday, I, in the meditation, I looked up at that window and I went, holy moly. It came yeah. back and I was like, what I thought was a tragedy. And so what I guess I'm saying to people who are listening in is the idea that when we, what we see before us may look like heartache and pain, but if you have faith, and you know, as Gary Simmons says, who's one of Unity's teachers and ministers, Gary says, this is not happening to me, it is happening for me. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most powerful things that I, I repeat as a mantra sometimes when I'm in the face of fear. But then I, I know in the moment, so that immediately if I will go into gratitude, the moment I'm afraid, I know, you know, and I tell the story, Cindy Lippert told the story on here which is one of my favorites, and we've told it many times, but it's another one I've never forgotten, when Catherine Ponder was in a car wreck. And the story is that she jumped out of the car at the scene of the wreck, and the first thing she said was, I cannot wait to see what good comes from this. That blew wow. me away. And, I, and that's why I think even in the face, like we were talking in the beginning of the show before Will joined us about fear, that even in the face of fear, if we can have that mentality as spiritual beings, I cannot wait to see what good comes from this. We're affirming to the universe that I, even though I may be shook up, I may even be dropped to my knees in sorrow. I know something good this way comes. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know if that yes. makes any kind of sense to you guys, but will I mean? That's what I, I don't know if you heard. I shared the story about when you guys said, "Oh, come visit us in Harlem," and I was like, "Harlem." And and Sadar said to me, she goes, my darling, Harlem is not what it used to be. And that's what I mean about us changing our concepts of what was into what is and what can be, is is moving into gratitude. And that that requires uh, a a strong degree of consciousness. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're in the car wreck, and if you're not of some level of raised consciousness, you can focus only on the shattered glass and the the ding in the fender or whatever else it may be. But if you have a, an increased level of consciousness, you're able to see beyond that in the moment and to rise to the situation in a way that does see the blessing or does see the good or does see the the things for which we're gratitude. And in, in a car accident... The first thing, of course, is you're grateful that you and no one else is harmed, uh, and right. and then you go from there. But even that requires a level of consciousness that people have to work to achieve. Most definitely. You know, sitting here, the first thing that comes up for me, and I did a little bit of research on you myself before we got on the air with you, is I want to hear about what it's like to do this ministry in Harlem. 
that just was enchanting to me. Well, it's it's terribly exciting, and and part of the reason that it, I feel that way is because um, people here draws from across the five boroughs, so it's not exclusive to Manhattan. Uh, but people here are thirsty. Uh, they sure. have uh, attended other churches. Uh, they've been beat up by the churches in terms of you know not meeting the criteria for. Uh, this or that within certain dogma, and uh-huh. they come to new thought, and they recognize that practical Christianity has something to offer them in the way of life skills and acceptance and uh, mutuality that is unique. Uh, they find that there are others who have had similar experiences, and they find others who have learned from those experiences and have overcome whatever their historic um, story may be uh, to a point where they now realize and can appreciate, uh, again, what the obstacles that they've experienced before have taught them uh, to be able to now rejoice and embrace their spirituality in ways that they had been unable to uh, in the prior manifestation of church, whatever that may have been. Mm. What what happiness you bring to the table doing that kind of work. I, I can't imagine how grateful you must feel every day. It's it's pretty remarkable, and, and the reality is that you kind of become known on the street um, in ways that are, are very rewarding uh, beyond what we do in any kind of church setting. Uh, sure. Sadar and I are both characters of the neighborhood, if you will, and um, although they continue to refer to her as Miss Sadar, uh, they refer mm-hmm. to me as Rev Will, and, and so we go down the street and, and we're seen together, and, and uh, I think that there's an energy that probably more Sadar than me, um, exhibits that attracts people. I think sometimes my energy can kind of move them a foot away from us, but because um, <laughs> I tend to be 10 pounds in an 8-pound bag, but th- that's part of the joy as well is to surprise people and to engage in conversation that reveals more than they may have thought when they first encountered us. Yeah, yeah. Because isn't that the beauty of teaching and sharing practical Christianity with people that there is more than just being beat over the head with a bunch of dogma? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and these are people who uh, just literally wash up on the shore and, and uh, are looking for something to provide them with grounding and with uh, um, love that they have not experienced before or have not experienced in many years and they come into a setting like ours and they're immediately embraced and they're immediately told about their goodness and so in many cases they're recognizing something in themselves uh, that they have not seen at all or not seen for a long time and I'm sure that's your experience as well isn't it Jamie? Yeah, you know, because, I I mean, all three of us, because I I know you both, I I was thinking about this whole concept of even the ministry that you and Sadar do, but 
you know, on the gratitude level of ministry, I think all all three of us could probably readily admit that on our journey as spiritual leaders, um, we have encountered um, organizations and we have encountered um, individuals who um, did not show up the way that we thought they might. I'm trying to be very careful with my words. Um, and that we were disappointed or that we were hurt. And to even look at that, you know, because when I look back on some of the organizations, um, I have to remember, and I've often said in, in talks, when I give talks, some of the most vicious people that I've ever met are people who call themselves religious or spiritual. And and so I have to check myself to make sure I'm not, I'm not, my intention is not to be judgmental. My intention is to make sure that I monitor myself, that I never move into that energy, and that I, I don't have to be mean and nasty to have healthy boundaries with someone, and that mm-hmm. I don't have to misrepresent myself as a minister. Because I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't know how you two feel, but if I still laugh sometimes when someone calls me reverend. Right. I, I, because, I, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, I, I don't I don't know. It just I think of myself as Jamie, but I, I want to get to the point of the gratitude of when I look back on some of those individuals as well as organizations who I wholeheartedly engaged with seeking a, a, a healthy, loving bond and relationship. And when I did not get that, now I can look back and say, thank you, God, but look who I met along the way. Look who I met and and built relationships with through that event. So I am so grateful, even though I felt um, disappointed or, or wounded or bruised, when I when I get past my stuff, my, you know, making it about me, I can say, thank you, God, that I got to meet this person and that person, and and I found relationships that will last an entire lifetime. So that's the gratitude through the pain, and I don't know that a lot of people realize that even as ministers, because, Will, Denise and I were making that point in the beginning of the show of ministers are people too, mm-hmm. and we get angry and we cry and we can allow our feelings to be hurt when there's no communication, you know, clear communication with individuals. And so it's it's a powerful thing, and so the whole thing of radical gratitude to me is, again, going back to am I open and receptive, and am I teachable? Because I remember it was maybe a year ago I was having my feelings uh, (laughs) tangled, and, Will, you were a catalyst in cleaning something up between me and, and another individual because... You know, we think we know what's going on, but we don't. And you were so instrumental, you and Sadar both, in, in helping with that. And that's what I said. That's I'm so grateful for the healing that takes place when we're willing to do our work and to find the gratitude. And this may look really not so good today, Father, Mother, God, but I know, as Catherine said, something good's coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I recall that situation, and, and, and chiefly, uh, I, I saw hurt on both sides of that situation and knew that it had no place. Uh, and, right. and so it was important to uh, say what I said at the time, and, and I shed some tears over all of that and uh, recognize today uh, what a gift that process was for all of us. Right. I mean, that's what I mean. Something good will come from it. But, again, I say it has to do with, and that's why I reiterate this all the time with my congregation and even the listeners to the show, it is about 
us being committed to doing our work. And if you won't, uh, I'm never going to speak to this person again. You don't ever have to speak to them, but have some sort of closure and say, make amends to the best of your ability and be thankful for the lesson. You may not even get what the lesson is, but I'm so thankful because I know this is teaching me something about who I am and how I show up in the world. And then suddenly, it may be two days, it may be three years, 20 years, you see that something amazing came from it. And I think that there's an importance in recognizing that it's not always an immediate recognition. Uh, no. it, it does take time um, in many cases for us to recognize just what a gift that experience was because had we not had it, we wouldn't be where we are today. Most definitely. So, Denise, have you had one of those? Denise, in your, in your well, time as minister, have you had what appeared to be, um, in, in ministry, something that appeared to be very hurtful or painful and then later to realize it really was happening for you to call you up or call you out or whatever. Yes, most definitely. You know, I went through field licensing licensing with you, Jamie, and finished that, and everything in my congregation, this whole congregation was moving forward, and everything was so very exciting. And then it was like... One day I was sitting with the board and realized, uh, Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Ever been sitting with the board and go, well, this is not pretty. And the problem was that there were some people on the board that thought that maybe they wanted to get an associate minister in there because we were growing and we needed an extra person. That was not a unity person. That was maybe some fundamental person or something. They just, they weren't sure what they wanted to do. And I prayed and I prayed and I I did all kinds of gyrations of stuff because I have a background of of counseling psychology and have been a therapist, so I was trying to do therapy on myself. And I called the association and I did everything I needed to do. And finally, I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to fight this issue with this group of people. Now, today I don't know what I would do if I would do it differently, but I wrote a resignation letter and I stepped out of this congregation. And I went back into school counseling for about five years. I was away from that congregation for about a year and a half, and they did some miraculous inner cleaning work for themselves. Um, they got some assistance from some people. They got clear about who they were and who they were not. People that were causing a lot of the issues fell away, went and tried to create their own church and did all of that. And within that year and a half, I got a phone call from the board that said, you know, can we have a conversation with you? And I ended up coming back part-time and then ended back up with this congregation because when I left them, I felt that there was something unfinished with me and with them. And I think that my time away of at first feeling very, very hurt and thinking, you know, why have I gone through all of this training and all of this money and time 
to become an ordained minister just to be treated like this. You know what I mean? And so it took me quite a while to realize that there was any kind of a gift in this and that it helped me go deeper. It helped me understand that, you know, we all have our journeys and that if if I am going to do this thing called ministry or whatever I want to call it, I have to be sure of standing in the truth of who I am as a person and not be afraid that somebody else is not going to like it or somebody else is not is going to want to do something else and that if that means I'm no longer in service with this church or no longer in service with these people, that that's all okay. It's part of the process. Mm-hmm. But it, I have a... I have a background of working through years and years of a underlying belief system of I'm not good enough. So I can promise you that that was up for me with that board. It's like I'm not good enough. I don't know how to explain to these people anything. I don't know what to do. And so what I chose to do in that moment was walk away. And as I said, I don't know that I would make that choice at this point in time in my life. But, yes, I understand now that it was for me but it didn't feel like for me in the moment at all. And the truth of it is perhaps that had they come back to you in a shorter period of time, you might not have been ready. Right. Uh, because I probably because you grew. Yes. They grew and you grew all at the same mm-hmm. time. Right, most definitely. It was it was truly a win-win situation for both of us understanding who we were in the process. And it sure didn't feel good in the beginning. Mm-mm. You know, Mm-mm. I can't I can't tell you how many times I sat and cried and thought, <laughs> why do I go through, why did I even go through all this to become a minister just for this? Please, you know, so. And I didn't even call my friend Jamie and say anything. I just kind of sat and stewed. So that's another learning, right, Jamie? Well, and that's what I mean too. I, I was, you know, listening listening to this, and I'm thinking to myself. But sometimes I think when we're going through the, you know, what they call that dark night of the soul thing, mm-hmm. I, I'm just speaking for myself. I think sometimes, and I've seen it with other ministers. So, Will, you you can address this as well. But the idea of sometimes when we're having a challenge, and we're trying to find our way through the shadows that there's some sometimes we may feel that there's some shame in telling somebody else that I'm not feeling enough or we're struggling with a, a challenge and that someone's going to judge us and think well you're not doing ministry right or you know there's been ministers who were who were terminated from churches and I mean the shame that they felt of what will people think and it's like well you know first of all people are going to think what they want to think they always have they always will but what we have to know principally is it wasn't the right fit or it was you you fulfilled some sort of contractual spiritual agreement with that group and it's time for all of us to move forward you know and it takes a, another person who's not in it who's not walking that path to go okay well, let's remember our truth so i mean that's why i was thinking about like for you will to the time that it, and the energy that it's taken to write the books that you've written, that's a lot of work. And when people mm-hmm. see the material, I mean the hours and the hours that that you put into it, the travels that you and Sadar would make. I mean, we were always going to um, Phoenix for the International New Thought Alliance stuff, the energy that's put out. And so I think that sometimes we may wonder, why did I, why did I take this path or – I mean, when I'm having a challenge in ministry, whether it's an emotional thing or whether it's 
growth spurts and you're trying to figure out how, I, I will lovingly make a joke to myself and say, I could have been a Walmart greeter. But no, I chose this. And then I realize on, uh, when things are good, and they're always good, but I'm talking about to my human sense, when things are good and smooth, I think, can you believe they pay me to do this? So it's it's staying centered. So, Will, let me hear your take on all on the journey of some sometimes of challenge and and difficulty and how you've found your way to be. I mean, that you get to have a book published, and Denise will have one soon, that you hold in your hands and you can go, look at this. You know what I mean? So let's talk about that for a minute. The, the chief opportunity for me to write um, came at the end of my presidency of the Divine Science Federation. Sadar had been after me for years and years saying, you know, you need to write a book, you need to write a book, and uh, I knew that there was one in me. I had no idea I'd have a litter of three. But uh, the truth became for me that the freedom from the administrative work that I was doing uh, for DSFI gave me an opportunity to go deeper myself. And so the two years that produced these three books have been a, a remarkable renewal for me. And have now created the opportunity to go even deeper again. Um, my spiritual practice changed dramatically uh, when I began to write the books and when these women began to speak to me, uh, and, and they did indeed speak to me. Uh, I had, there were times when I had to have candles lit uh, in my office because there was so much energy rolling through, and I think that that's a part of what made so much happen so quickly is that uh, I was challenged to get the first book done and then within moments of it hitting the presses the second book was in front of me because there was so much more to say um, and in the process of writing the second book I had created a list of all the women who I knew had had major voices and of course the list included the people that we all know about, Emma Curtis Hopkins and Myrtle Fillmore and uh, Mary Baker Eddy and, you know, the old stalwarts. Uh, and so I reached a number of about 30 and thought, well, you know, this, is, this might just be a book. And so I took a calendar and started putting names on dates um, without even having quotes put in place. And then I pulled the material that I wanted to use for those particular people and thought, well, you know, I, I found a few more. I was at about 40, and I thought, well, you know, if I gave each of them X number of days, I could fill a calendar. And then 10 or 15 more would appear. When I got to 75 or 80 women, I thought, my God, I probably have exhausted the people who have been writers and have had a significant impact in, in the literature of New Thought, only to have a whole lot more appear and to find women behind women uh, who had supported one another or who had preceded one another in a church experience. And uh, what began as a, a, a book that I thought was going to be fairly simple in its structure uh, became very complex. And the complexity, which we might view as the challenge, was really the reward uh, because it, it allowed me to bring forth people who have not been heard of in 
50 to 100 years and to give them new life and to bring their messages back before the public eye to enjoy and appreciate the thoughts that they were sharing that far back uh, and, and also to take a fairly expansive view of who is who in new thought. Uh, Helen Schumann from A Course in Miracles is in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, Peace Pilgrim is in the book. Um, uh, Underwood uh, is in the book. Uh, a variety of people who were ancillary to the denominations that we're familiar with, uh, even like Annie Ricks Millets and her sister Harriet uh, Hale Ricks. Uh, mm. But they all had a voice that spoke that common language and that common sentiment that uh, is so clearly a part of whatever we want to call it, new thought, practical Christianity. But uh, it became a reward from a challenge, and, and it truly is, for me, the, the capstone of this particular writing period to be able to bring this forth. That's pretty Do you think awesome. there's more books coming? You think there's more books coming? Well, you know, this was a pretty interesting gestation period. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that experience again for a while, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, you talked about um, raising consciousness, and I know that that's that really is part of the work of any minister in New Thought specifically is raising consciousness. But I would like to ask first, um, how do you see this process of raising consciousness? How is that aligned with what we started talking about, radical gratitude? And how is that raising the consciousness on our planet? I believe that we have to experience it for ourselves to begin with uh, to recognize what we see in challenge and then to help other people recognize uh, gratitude in the challenges that face them. Um, I'm the son of a police officer, uh, and the last month or two have been horrific. Uh, related to the relations between uh, our African-American community and our police community. And uh, I'm part of a biracial marriage, and the, the pain that I have felt and the pain that's been felt in our home over the deaths that have occurred on both sides of whatever that line is uh, have really created challenge for boasted our and me to find what in this we can be grateful for. And yet there are those examples that spring forward. Uh, I, was it Nashville uh, where there was a police uh, picnic that was put mm -hmm. together for uh, underprivileged or African-American children or children of color uh, recognizing a whole different relationship that exists between those two elements within the community uh, that is indeed an object of gratitude. So out of the melee that we see in St. Paul and in Dallas and in Baltimore, 
we have an experience in Nashville that goes counter to that and gives us reason for greater hope. Uh, mm. and, and it's that kind of example that I believe we share with others and by so doing uh, give them the opportunity to examine their own experience and their own relationships to see what they may have been missing. Uh, because consciousness is not a light switch. Uh, right. It is indeed an evolutionary kind of process. And uh, in so being, uh, it allows people to grow and to view things in a different way today than they may have yesterday. And those experiences, I think, are critical to then the further growth that occurs for each and every one of us. And, I, you know, the other question to that that I would like to hear you speak to, because Jamie and I were talking about this as we were preparing to bring you on, is I spoke a little bit to him, and I don't know that I did live on the air, but all of these things that are going on in our world today, there's this underlying fear with certain people. And so how is this practice helping to alleviate some of the fears that might be permeating certain groups of people? Tough question. <laughs> I know, I know. I That's why I ask you, because you're supposed to be the expert. Isn't that right? No, I don't know oh, that. But anyway. <laughs> well, you know, I think we, we, we learn incrementally. Um, yes. we, we don't necessarily learn from the families and the environments from which we come so much as we do from the experiences and the opportunities that occur beyond that frame. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, I will say very openly that uh, by today's standards, my father was a bigot. Mm -hmm. uh, but nonetheless, uh, I recognize that he was a child of his time. And some of the things that I heard in our home uh, you know, were very visceral for me. Um, right. I, I grew up in the era of the civil rights legislation of 1964, and mm -hmm. my belief was that we were committed to adopting the spirit of the law as well as the letter of the law. And it shocked me dramatically when 2008 came along and all of this sub rosa hatred was suddenly on the surface again and was was rising up in various parts of the country, and we're still seeing the reaction uh, of people to um, the, the kind of experience that we've had over the last eight years, for which I am extremely grateful, and that is the experience we've had over the last eight years. Mm -hmm. but, but that's not a shared experience. Uh, right. However, it may well be, uh, a reason for gratitude in the wake of those eight years. Jimmy Carter was not appreciated until well after his presidency. Right. Uh, I'm grateful today for who he was and who he is. Um, many people were not at the time. And I believe that this is the kind of ebb and flow that has to occur. It's the three steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, three steps back, but it's forever progressing. Uh, and and so I believe that as we see generational turnover, we pray for more enlightenment in the the young. Uh, 
but I mm-hmm. also believe that we uh, take every opportunity to plant the seeds for greater understanding among all of us that will sprout at some point in the future that we can't even measure. But we will know that we have done everything we could to nurture the seed and to see that it it uh, it comes forth in an appropriate and a, a, a gracious way, a, a praiseworthy way, as Jamie might say. Mm. Thank you. That was an awesome answer to that question. I I feel um, a little bit of a weight on my shoulders as a minister in this day and time, as I was saying to Jamie, because it seems like I have congregants and people that are not necessarily congregants in my congregation, but they know that I may be thinking about life in a little bit different way, and they're reaching out to me and going, what's going on out here in the world? And, you know, I think it's a time when we as New Thought individuals can assist in helping people look at it from a different point of view, if possible, and to find some seed of hope, some seed of moving forward. And so hence why I asked you that question. Jamie, what do you think about all that? Well, I think what still comes up for me is even, you know, we we got into the fear thing again, and that's part of it has to do with, um, I guess what was coming up for me is we can't, we can't live in gratitude and be a chronic complainer. We can't live in gratitude and be, and this is my opinion, so I don't want to hear anybody writing on Facebook to me. There are a lot of ministers out there who post their political views on their page. I choose not to. I tell people, do not post your political views on my page. I do not want it there. It's nobody's business. We talked about this on the show we did about, you know, in the, in the appearance of political chaos. But it you can't go in, in, in one breath and say, I am so thankful for those little crystal cheeseburgers and then mm-hmm. the next thing to say, I hate this candidate, and how stupid of you to vote for this. I mean, you've you've kind of like shot it out of the sky. You've shot your gratitude. So I mean, we we it really does take um, consciousness, as we were saying. We do have to do our work. You, you can't live in both worlds. Which again, back to the scriptures, when it talks about, you know choose you this day, you know, whom you will serve. And I don't necessarily think that it was talking about, you know, one one teacher, but it's about you're either going to live in the kingdom, as one of my teachers said, or not. And we can't right. live in a kingdom of mean-spiritedness, uh, fault-finding. Um, do I like everything I see on the news? Absolutely not. But I know that um, sometimes I have to turn it off and I sit there in the chair for a few minutes, and I breathe, and I affirm that God is active and present and everything. I don't care what it looks like, and that I know something good. I was thinking yesterday when I was driving in the car, when I was growing up, <clears throat> my babysitter would put on, remember Oral Roberts had his TV show? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she would have that on, and I would watch it, you know, and the, the theme song, and it popped in my head driving, and I started laughing. It's like, I haven't thought of that, and it was something good is going to happen to you, happen mm-hmm. to you this very day. And I started humming it, and I was like, well, I don't want to affirm that it's going to happen. I mean, so I'm like, something good is happening to me. 
and that's what I, I mean, that's what I mean about us doing our inner work, that if you get what flips your crazy switch, and we all have them, that you act like a raving lunatic over something. I, I mean, I've said on the show before, Will, that I fantasize sometimes. I would love to, like when Jesus turned the table over in the temple, I would love to do that in a Denny's sometimes. <laughs> but I know that people are watching. You know what I mean? And that someone's going to say, you know, well, that, that minister is not who he says he is. So it's about us doing our work. I can't live in both kingdoms. I can't be an asshole one day and then the next day get up and say to everyone, I behold the Christ in you. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, I behold the Christ in you. But you just saw me last night at the Denny's making a scene because my my burger wasn't cooked right. So, I mean, to live in gratitude, we're going to put it into practice, which is what in New Thought we talked about, practical Christianity, mm-hmm. or we're not. What's it going to be? Well, in, in, in my frame, uh, I'm a retired attorney, and, and so I know how to be the meanest SOB on the block. And uh, there are times when I have been uh, a very difficult character to deal with. Uh, but what I've tried to do in my own inner work, uh, particularly in recent years, is to recognize that anger serves no- nothing. Uh, sadness can be an expression of anger, which is more productive, but still leaves you in a place of unhappiness. And so trying to find that God peace in the events of our times and in the the people that we encounter uh, is challenging but rewarding at the same time. Uh, Harlem is an interesting place to live for drivers because this is one of the few places on the planet where people routinely turn right from the left-hand lane and turn left from the right-hand lane without any notice. And here in Harlem, uh, driving or or traffic laws are really just sort of a guideline. Um, But as I first moved here and was riding around town with Sadar, and I was nearly coming unglued when we'd get to intersections and these things would happen, um, she would remind me that there was God in that person (laughs) and that just as there was God in me and that I had to somehow reconcile uh, what I was observing with what was going on from a spiritual standpoint. And I think that that's something that we can analogize across a variety of lines, that uh, in the weirdest kinds of situations and in the most disappointing kinds of times, uh, there is goodness to be observed and there is the need for us to recall that um, there is Christ in that other person. Uh, there is divinity in that other person and in the situation. And to praise where we can and pray where we need to. Would you agree, Denise? I agree. Oh, most definitely. I love that, actually. I'm trying to write that down. Praise where we can and pray where we need to. That's a great mm-hmm. statement. That, so, that Will, seems- we're getting ready to close out this segment. So before we go, I want you to take a brief moment, tell everyone, um, where they can get your books, where they can re- find out more about the books uh, before we close out this segment with you. Fantastic. I appreciate that a lot, Jamie. They can go to uh, a website that I have, which is called Great 
ntwomen.com. Uh, NT, obviously, for New Thought. Uh, the books are readily available on Amazon as well as from Divorce Publishers. Uh, and if you're ordering for the church, I know you get a substantial discount from Divorce. Uh, but I'm actually approaching the time for a second printing because I've depleted the source that I have, and Amazon and Divorce are still uh, well supplied. So it's been a great pleasure to be with you. These books, I think, uh, make a, a, a nice triumvirate, if you will, of books. I, I refer to them as the Timeless Truth series because mm. they they focus on a, a, a period of time and a, a group of people who spoke truth uh, in ways that can be understood across the years. And uh, I hope people will take opportunity to read them. So you're going to be next week. We're we're all going to be in Fort Lauderdale for the Divine Science Conference. Are you going to are you going to have books available at the conference? Yes, we'll have books available at the conference, and uh, uh, I'll have a pen with me. So, Jamie, I'll I'll autograph yours with a a, a special heart emblem on it if you'd like, and we can Thanks. go from there. <laughs> all right, we're going to have a great time. So, Will, thank you for being with us. And, Denise, you have, you have to meet both Will and Sadar. They're both just amazing people. So, Will, thank you for being with us and love you very much, and I'll see you next week. Great. Thank you, Denise, and thank you, Jamie, thank so you. much. Bye, Will. Bye-bye. Uh, I think that was a great great segment today. I, I really – this gratitude thing feels really – and when I say feels, I mean it feels like it's something that's building all over, and I think it's important for us to um, continue to spread that. So um, I just want to say I, I just really appreciate Will being here. And for those of you that are listening, really consider go to my Facebook page under Jamie Sanders. You'll see about the 21-day uh, Radical Gratitude Challenge, um, the different people on the page that are doing it. It's spreading quickly, and it's really exciting. I got my challenge from Reverend Sherry James, who is now the senior minister at Reverend Della Reese's Up Church in Los Angeles, and we're all having a blast. I'm doing it, and I think you would too. I challenged my congregation on Sunday. Some of them are not making videos, but they're posting in written form what it is they're grateful for. And you just say day one, I'm grateful for, great, you know, day two. And so it's an exciting time. And, and Denise, you might want to consider doing that with all of your wonderful people at Unity of Music City. That sounds absolutely awesome. I think we will want to step right into that maybe this week or maybe 1st of August. But that sounds great. Absolutely awesome. Okay. And Any he closing was, he thoughts on the gratitude? He was. He's just one of my favorite people. I can't wait to see him. You know, the biggest thing is I love what he said, praise where we can and pray where we need to. And I think if we could remember that in every moment, it would begin to shift our consciousness. I agree very much. So, folks, if you, again, look for Will Will Mercer's books on Amazon. You can find them on Divorce. And if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, uh, we're at the conference that we're going to be doing, and I believe it's at the Sunshine Cathedral at um, the MCC Church, mm-hmm. one of the only New Thought MCC churches that I know of, Reverend Dur- Durrell Watkins. So it's going to be a powerful week. All our old-time buddies from International New Thought Alliance will be there for panels and speaking. It's going to be a great time. So we're going to leave you again today with more music from our amazing uh, Dr. Judy Blackwelder. It's called There Is 
a light. So you guys have a great week, and we'll be back with you soon. Blessings. It will.